Hey you. Yeah, you. The one trying to make a video game. I've got someone here that can help you, and that someone is Intel, which is not a someone, it's a company. But this company, they are going to help you as if they were a somebody and a someone and also a something. Check out software.intel.com slash gamedev to find out how Intel is making sure all the innovation in gaming continues to happen on the PC as part of the Intel Game Dev program. Again, that URL is software.intel.com slash gamedev. Sign up and start something new. of the year and GamesBeat is looking back as part of our GamesBeat Rewind feature where we're going to be doing a bunch of Game of the, uh, Game of the Year award categories, our full top 10 countdown later this week. Um, you can check back for all that stuff. We're also doing all kinds of different articles and features looking back at the year that was. Uh, this right here that you're listening to, this is the podcast uh, where we're going to kind of start really actually diving into the real categories. We've already done the non-awards. Now we're going to actually get into the conversations about uh, a lot of games we like, a lot of companies that are putting out these games uh, in two major categories uh, that we're talking about today. The, the first category is going to be the best gaming company of 2017. The second category is freshest new gaming universe. Uh, we'll sort of get in into, into how we define those things as we talk about them. But we could start off first thing. Uh, we could just jump in right in with people introducing themselves. I'm Jeff Grubb, your host. With me is Mike Minotti. Say hi, Mike. Uh, I think that these are two pretty slam dunky ones, so I'm excited for this. These topics. Uh, yeah, we actually I picked them today because um, we do have to get Stephanie out of here in a little bit, like in like an hour. So I'm like, oh, we could probably do these in an hour. I and can now do I know these that in we've two said minutes. That. Now that we've said this out loud, Mike. <laughs> Get ready, buckle up, because it's going to be a shit fest. No. I guarantee it. No. Um, okay, also with me, Stephanie, say hi. Hello. And Jason Wilson. Oh. Bringing up the rear. Say hi, Jason. Oh, I, I'm the rear admiral of the podcast. Hello. Yeah, rear, rear admiral. Yeah, sure, if that's how you want to put it. That, if that's what the kids are calling it these days. Kids call it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, th this is the GameSpeak crew. We're missing a few people. Dean is out. He'll be with us for the full Game of the Year countdown at, uh, on Friday. Um, but yeah, I think we should probably just jump right into it so we don't waste too much time. Um, best game company. I, I guess before we dive into it, does anyone have anything like, what does this mean to you? Like what, like when you look at a game company, what would you want to call out? Uh, so we can maybe define some things. I think you have to look at each company and the things they do and just see how good of a year they did. So if they're just a developer, how well they did it being a developer, if they're also a publisher, how well they did, at, you know, developing and publishing, or if they're those things, and also a console maker, how well they did all of those aspects, right? Yeah, and especially if people are also trying things new. I think yeah, trying try things. Cool. I think there's there's that. There's like a critical barometer. There's also like an actual sales barometer, like how that stuff is translating. Like, is it actually like helping the company? Uh, things like that. Yeah, I think you for know? me, it's like you hear the company's name and you're immediately interested like this company has proven a track record, whether it's publishing or developing, to know quality and to bring quality to players. And as soon as you hear it, you're like, okay, I'm interested. You know, for me, 
it's, you know, what company made the games or the systems, if it's going to be hardware, that left an impression on me all year from when I first started thinking about it in the beginning of the year to now. Um, and it's not always about sales, although sales tend to go hand in hand with that because um, I look at a couple of the ones I suggested and they had really good sales. Yeah, here and there. Actually, that, that brings us to the nominees. I, I think we can actually just start listing these uh, right up front so people know where we're coming from. Uh, I'll just read this list down uh, all the way from you know beginning to end. Nintendo, Ubisoft, Blizzard, Annapurna Interactive, Bethesda, In Exile, Sega Atlas, and Devolver Digital. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I know a couple really stand out immediately from there, uh, but I think maybe we should start with, with some of the indie companies. Um, Steffi, why don't you, why don't you give us Annapurna and then I'll do Devolver Digital. Uh, cause I think, I don't want to say you have like these companies have to just justify being mentioned alongside Nintendo. Cause I really don't believe that, but I want to give them uh, their chance up front. Uh, to you know, really make their case. So why don't you start with Annapurna? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've been around for like basically a year, I think, and they already have such a great catalog. What Remains of Edith Finch is terrific. Um, it just won a Game Award for Best Narrative, I think, um, and it's just super memorable. Like really great characters and just uh, and, like innovative gameplay. And then just the rest of the titles, like Donut County, that's upcoming, kind of that Katamari playing as a black hole kind of thing. The Artful Escape, another really like aesthetically standout title, Gorogoa, which is coming out later this month, I think later this week, actually. And I just think that they've really proven to have this keen eye towards, you know, new titles that are exciting, tell great stories, and also just look visually spectacular. Uh, I That's a, a very similar to how I feel about Devolver. Uh, I think both of these companies... Um, are showing that there is a place, not just a place, but there's like a need in the market for companies that are not coming at it from the the biggest budgets and not coming at gaming from this idea that it has to be the most profitable venture for their shareholders in the world. Um, I think Devolver, just like Annapurna, has established a voice. Like a, it has a voice where you're like, oh, Devolver Digital is publishing this game. I I actually know what that means for the game that I'm going to be playing. You know, you know, whenever it comes out, uh, it's going to be it's going to be loud and brash, and it's going to have just lots of style. Uh, it could be violent, uh, uh, but it's going to have it's going to be violent with a sort of um, a colorful edge to it. Uh, these are all things I think you can associate with every single one of its games to the point where when you when you hear the name Devolver, I I get excited now. Um, the other thing I, I like about the Volver is the studio and its representatives have a real sense of humor about what they do. Um, absolutely. You know, it's not like when you go see a, a game from a mid tier or major publisher where it's all serious, unless it's a comedy game, like, you know, Ubisoft was never serious about South park when it presented it to you because it's South park, but other games they're you know, they're, they're dead ass serious about it, but with Devolver, they they recognize that you know th- that I you know they have a very different attitude. You know they've got their mascot figurehead, but Fork Parker, who's like the you know demented Colonel Sanders of video games, and they just make it fun and silly, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I think a lot of these indie publishers 
like Devolver and also Raw Fury, whenever you get a press release from them, it just kind of feels like they're just as excited as, you know, the developers for this title to come out. You know, like they're just telling you sort of the way a friend would tell you like about this new thing that, you know, fits their vision of what they want their library to look like. And it's just like, it just kind of makes you feel good, I think. <laughs> it's just like a lot of fun to hear about it. And, and you know that it's probably going to be quality because it's coming from them. Well, something's going on with the video. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was actually going to put the list up in the middle of the video so that people can uh, kind of, if they're watching the video, they can watch along as we start making the list. Um, so yeah, for these companies, I mean, I, we can... Uh, definitely leave them on there for now. Um, I, I do think it is sort of um, something I always feel about the gaming industry, not just people making games, people covering games, like websites. A lot of it is like uh, uh, the music industry in terms of you're building out, building out personalities and you're building out bands. Like, uh, pe like the, these bands have their voice and they have a music genre that, that they're experts in and they go out and they have their fans and they play to their fans. Um, and I think that that's where Devolver and Annapurna are coming from. They get that and they know that they can build, build an audience by approaching video game in that way. Uh, but it also feels like they're also indie bands playing in a, uh, playing in a stadium setting, um, which, you know, maybe is not, is not fair, but I, I, you know, both these companies are worth calling out at least for now. Let's see if they do get knocked out by some of these other ones. I, I think what we could do is for all these categories is we will have, um, a winner and we'll have two runner up two runners up. So like I said, when I'm saying I'll leave them on the list, I think that's what I mean. So I'm going to move them over here. Um, let's see, Jason, you got, you got two on air. Mike, I mean, in, you in did, exile, might Mike, you didn't have anything. In here well, well, first of all, Mike, you didn't have anything to say about the Volver? No, you console snob. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if it was going to call me out on my incredible silence during that whole segment. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't have one good thing to say about it. Uh, I didn't have any bad things to say about it. <laughs> you monster. <laughs> Devolver is on console. Ruby so, came out on, on PS4. So, so, Jeff was, for them. so Jeff was just about to talk to me about In Exile, and, and the news I'm just going to spread here, Mike, will make you perk up, because they just announced today on Brian Farger's Twitter that they are porting over Wasteland 2 Director's Cut to the Switch. That's awesome. Which will be that the, makes which a lot will, of sense. Which will be Exile's first um, game for the Nintendo Switch, and also brings the first, you know, really meaty, dark, old-fashioned RPG to um, not necessarily dark, but old Western RPG yeah, to... Yeah, exactly. To the Switch. This kind of computer RPG style yeah. thing. Yeah. And so the reason why I'm nominated in Exile is because I, you know, they've had they've had a fan it's had a fantastic year. Um in addition to getting some funding from Gumi, um it had one of the two one of my two favorite RPGs of the year, uh Torment Tides of Numenera. Uh this is a RPG that's based on the Numenera role-playing game that comes out for Monty Cook. You might recognize the Monty Cook name because he was very... He had a huge hand in Planescape and some other writers have been working on Numenera as well. Folks like Colin McCoob, who just had his own game come out this last week, uh, Space Dragon for VR. But Numenera is, is fantastic. Um, you'll go through and you might try not to fight, but as Rowan was saying yesterday, you'll end up fighting. It's got a very rich story, very great character development, excellent 
uh, characters that you quest with. And it's it's deep and, it, and it's dense. There's a lot of reading, but it's it, it's fantastic. Um, <clears throat> they had they had a nice little VR game, uh, which is called The Mage's Tale, that takes place in the old school Bard's Tale universe, not the one where it had the snarky uh, two thousand and early two thousands Bard's Tale, but the old school nineteen eighties Bard's Tale. Um, that was. Uh, in Exile's first VR game, it makes you a wizard, and you're sitting there doing first-person wizardry with hand controls, and um, which spurns into the next part is, you know, they also came out with their um, Kickstarter for the Bard's Tale 4 this year, and that goes back to the excellent Bard's Tale games of the 80s, bringing it back into that world. Uh, so it, it's just been one one good thing after another for in exile this year. Um, I think the thing about in exile is they, uh, they have figured out how to, to maximize the return on having a very dedicated audience. It might not be the biggest audience, but it is they're dedicated and they'll come to these games. So how do we make the most from that? And they're figuring that out uh, through Kickstarter. Are you like saying that. it's not I, the size of the audience that matters, Jess? Yeah, it's the it's yeah it's the motion of the Kickstarter. Well, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, it's more than that too. It's uh you know you know the, what we what we've seen since about 2011 2012 is that you know just there's room for just about any type of game to be successful outside of the AAA market, and. Now, with crowdfunding, with other sources of funding, with how cheap it is, well, I won't say cheap, but how much more affordable it is to make games with small teams these days, you can do that and make all kinds of games for all kinds of audiences. And if you do it right and do it well, and Exile has been making games, great games in all of its former iterations for decades, you know, going back to, you know, so many of them are from the Interplay days and... You know, you've got about the oh, so wait about these three companies. So I think we should have this conversation right now. So we have Devolver, NXL, and Annapurna, maybe all kind of bubbling up from the bottom, uh, building on these dedicated audiences and you know establishing their voices and their own alternative business models that people seem to really respond to positively. Which one of these three do we pick? If we had to pick one, for example, there's no reason that more than one can't make the finals. Finals, but if we had to pick one, which one would we, would we put on there for sure? Uh, I'll, let, I, I'll let you guys fight this one out. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike, it's actually up to you because all three of us <laughs> picked a different one. Actually, no, <laughs> I um, I I would I would actually go with Annapurna. Yeah, um, that's that's so funny because I would too. I and I'll explain why it's. It's reminding me of uh, the 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 upcoming indie movie studios like A twenty four where. Um, they want to do this in a very, you know, auteur way. They want to give authors, they want to put, put authors, you know, up front and first in a way that I really appreciate that maybe even other companies, Devolver and in Exile, aren't doing. These are, uh, you know, these are outfits. They're kind of trying to be re re rebels in their own way. Uh, but Annapurna is doing something I think is, is, is distinct in terms of just coming at it from a very artistic way. Um, and I, I, that's what I would want to reward here, I think. Well, so, you know, I wouldn't say Devolver is not artistic. It's just very it's, yeah, different in the I way mean. they do their artisticness. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, but I'm, I think in 2017, the company that I would want to recognize for that is Annapurna. Yeah. I think like Annapurna is sort of bringing in that kind of interdisciplinary approach to games that we've been seeing more and more. 
you know, we're seeing a lot more games. You barely like, spike with that big word, interdisciplinary. <laughs> well, yeah. now. Boom. <laughs> Happy, you know, I listened to an NPR podcast yesterday. I'm very smart. <laughs> the word of the day. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, just the, the, the fact that they come from a film background. You know, they're a spinoff of a, a film studio. And that they're bringing in these these uh, developers and artists who are, you know, sort of drawing from different inspirations and like sources. Like, I, I just think that sort of marks, you know, the direction that we're going in as an industry. It's not just going to be it's going to be a more diverse landscape more and more, I think. So it's really, you know, they're part of that, that watershed moment, I think. Absolutely. OK, we should uh, move on to some of these other companies. Um See, Jason, you, meant, you and Anthony both picked Sega Atlas. Uh, and we're picking them wanna... for very different reasons. Well, why don't you give like us I'm Anthony's picking, reasons? I feel like we'll I would pick yours. it for both of your reasons, if I think I know okay, where you're going. Mike, talk. Speak. Speak, Mike. Well, yeah, so well, the Sega Atlas thing is kind of the key there, because Atlas had this real big year of launching Persona 5, right? Uh, and Persona 5 like, really felt like it pushed that series, maybe not super mainstream, but, but a bit closer there, right? Um, I mean, you know, it was nominated at the Game Awards, had a lot of just kind of screen presence there, just kind of treated as this very big deal, whereas it, it was kind of this critical darling, and it, it sort of felt like the coming out party for this series, right? Like, in a way, like, we had the new Final Fantasy not too long ago, but th that, that is kind of strayed from traditional RPG stuff. It almost feels like Persona is, like, the poster child for what JRPGs are these days. Right, so it's unabashedly an, a, a JRPG. Mm -hmm. But on the completely other hand with Sega, you also had Sonic Forces, which was this really celebrated, really great return to uh, like the original 2D platforming style Sonic uh, with this really interesting development where it was they just brought in fans to work on it. And it just ended up being really cool, super fun, the best Sonic game since the 90s. Uh, they might have made another Sonic game, too. I, I don't have too much to say about that one. But, but, uh, I mean, you're allowed to make bad games and still be on this list. For sure. Because, right? I mean, they, they also well, make good games. I, you, wait, real quick. You said the other hand, and, like, you mentioned, like, two things that I would not even have mentioned as, like, my, my top thing from Sega, which is they are approaching PC gaming in a really thorough way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's not, and it's not just, like, they're... Total War games, and you know they, they got a couple others. Company Heroes is them, maybe I can't remember, but like they are also bringing some of their classics onto PC, like Vanquish and Bayonetta and things like that. And they're they're are, you know helping with Bayonetta because they published that game. They've right? also been very good about Switch support very early on, where some of the companies kind of waited a little bit, like but they were yeah. there right from the beginning. Almost. And let's it just seems like they're making a lot of smart decisions. Yeah, and let's not forget Endless Space Two, which from Amplitude, which they bought a couple years ago. That was right, so an I mean, excellent. That was an excellent uh, space strategy game that came out this year. You know what I like about Sega? They're kind of a fun company, really, right now. Like you, you, you think of some of these companies, like your EAs or your Activision or whatever. You um, maybe you know some of these things. You kind of like, oh, they do this, they do that. Sega's just kind of, and I know a lot of it's maybe just perception. But when I think of Sega right now, I'm like, oh yeah, they're fun. Even when they make Sonic Forces. I almost feel like they know what's bad. Like, they're in on the joke in a way. Like, ah, Sega, making another bad Sonic game. How cute. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm almost at a point where, like, I think they, Sega has to be in the top three here. Uh, has to be in the finalist because of everything we've mentioned. They do seem to get it. Uh, they're, they're talking a big, they're, they're, talking they're almost about like Total War this year, too. 
Yeah, I mean, they're almost like the anti-EA with a lot of these acquisitions, too, because think of all the companies they've acquired in the last couple of years, and all of them are still releasing games. They're all active. Oh, their acquisition of of Atlas, I know people were worried about the time. That has been working absolutely beautifully. Yeah, Atlas and then uh, Amplitude, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Jason, that's the company that made Endless Space, right? And then, of um, course, the creative several years ago. Yeah, with Total War. Like, yeah, exactly. But it's years ago, and it's still going, and it's like a company that now... Uh, I associate strongly with Sega, uh, where, you know, Bioware is a huge EA developer, and I'm still like, when I think of Bioware, I'm still like, well, no, the real Bioware was years ago, uh, before EA. Uh, So, this is one that's going to piss people off, but I think this is actually, this year, shows Sega at its strongest. Um, I I think it's even better than it was during its console days. Well, it's definitely the best it's been since the Dreamcast era. Uh, I'll, I'll say that much. The Dreamcast era was bad for us. Oh, uh, Dreamcast era. Well, it was bad for them. It was great for me. That's what, that's what, yeah, but that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the company and its strength. There's a degree of difficulty thing here, too, isn't there, though? Because, like, I think to survive or to thrive as a publisher these days would be, it's really difficult. And the idea that Sega has scrapped for so many years since the Dreamcast era or whatever, and is, like, clearly figuring it out and is... Uh, you know, and then that's not just people observers saying it, like they're saying it themselves. They're figuring out their business model is working. They're the reason they're making PC games is because they sell. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's impressive that they are doing it today. Uh, you know, of all the eras of Sega that we can look back on. So I'm moving them over real quick. I just love that. Like two of the best companies this year are Sega and Nintendo. Yes. <laughs> so Stephanie, you know, you've been awfully quiet. Have you played much of anything from Sega? Not really. You didn't like Sonic Mania, right? You were because, and that's okay if you didn't. Here's the thing, right? When I when I grew up, I didn't really, I didn't have a console at home, and so I didn't, I never really played Sonic growing up. I played like all the PC like knockoff versions. Like I played Jazz Jack Rabbit. Jazz Jack Rabbit. <laughs> He's been <laughs> showed up in the news again. Yeah. So like when I hear that, I'm like, oh, my childhood. But like I have no real strong emotional connection to the Sonic franchise or. Wait, Mike, real quick. Yeah, go real ahead. Real quick. I think I think I want to translate what Stephanie said. She said Sonic was never good. No. The, the right. Sonic she was said, never part of her childhood. <laughs> hey Mike Mon- hey Mike Monani, Sonic that. was never good. No, don't you don't want to go down that road. <laughs> the memes are ahead, good. Oh <laughs> my gosh, you actually do reference an NPR podcast in your copy here, Mike. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. This, this NPR podcast is coming up multiple times. Look, what uh, podcast is it? I have to know real quick. I'm that sorry. was uh, Brain Talk. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. I, I used right, that justification for why the Atari was never good. Ironically, Hidden Brain. Come on, Hidden Brain. But whatever, Brain Talk. Something with something to do with the brain. Brain, like brain Talk is the generic NPR name of the podcast. It like really if is. you're just like, oh, well, Brain Talk or whatever. So All right, like, we you always tell me you're secretly, uh, you're secretly weave trash. How did you not play Persona 5, like the ultimate weeb trash game? It's here. It's here in my house. I just haven't had a chance to devote uh, 200 hours to it. <laughs> oh, it's like more like, it's more like 90 hours, maybe. That's, I think that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that is the ultimate weeb trash game. You I can't, know. <laughs> you, can't call, you can't claim that title for your own unless you dive into that one. I know. I'm going to have to complete my transformation and finish it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This isn't my final form yet. I, I need to get there. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, so uh, I guess we should dig into some of these other game or these other game companies. Um, Bethesda, Jason, do you want to touch on them real quick? Yeah, so you know, this is 
been a very quiet year for Bethesda in in regards to big games. But you take a look, you know, they're putting Skyrim on the Switch, which I've been playing daily since it came out, and it's become you know, I'm just engrossed in it as I was the first time around. You, you've got you've got Skyrim in VR and Fallout in VR. Uh, you've got them putting out an excellent card set and an excellent story expansion to Elder Scrolls Legends. They continue to build on their successes with the Elder Scrolls Online. So, you know, they're just shepherding everything very well, building on things in between, keeping their franchises relevant as other games come out so people don't forget about them. You know, and, you know, it's just been just just very quiet. Like, and then, of course, here at the end of the year, they, they make this whole thing about, oh, yeah, you know, we're still making single-player games. And you take a look at that, and all that stuff is single-player if you wanted to make it that way. I mean, no one needs to play The Elder Scrolls Online or Friends. You can always play it by yourself. I Of all the companies here, um, Bethesda is the one I'm most conflicted about on this list. Uh, and the reason is, is they have had... Several great games uh, this year and last year, uh, and and several of those have not performed in terms of sales, and so I almost and, and that that's not me saying oh a game these games have to sell to be successful to me I, I that's no that's not what I mean it means what I'm saying is it feels almost like a I'd be giving them this because I pity them because oh. I because they they're doing what I want them to do and I want to recognize that even though they're not succeeding it feels like I want them to not even be in the top three on this, come back in 2018 with very similar, you know, high quality games that they have figured out how to sell in a way that people will come back to and give but more money to. You're just so talking about really one game, Wolfenstein. And well, I mean, no, no. Prey didn't sell that well. No, Prey right? Prey didn't sell well, no. And and Dishonored, the, the, the Dishonored DLC did not sell well. But Dishonored and, 2 didn't sell well. And Dishonored 2 last year didn't sell well. I, I just, this is all part of a trend. Uh, and these are, the games, all those games we mentioned are immersive sims. This has led people to say, oh, um, immersive sim, sims aren't, uh, you know, financially feasible. But I think it's single player narrative games, which is, you know, one of the reasons it was exciting to see Bethesda do that video at the Game Awards. Yeah, and but we're going to. But here's the thing. If you've got live service games that are making money and doing well, like the Elder Scrolls Online, does it matter? I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, if that, I, I don't know. If just I don't know if Elder Scrolls Online is doing well enough to write yeah, off the maybe one failures or one of, or two of these. Yeah, slight failures. Also, I played that that expansion and was not impressed, just on a personal level. But that's you know, period. Right. that's just I, you. I, no, yeah. I, I bounce. I bounce I'm going to throw back that. That's just you when you try to bad talk Mario later. <laughs> well, that really is just him. <laughs> um, okay, I never said it was bad. I just said it's not a hundred out of a hundred. Uh, we will get to Mario. Easiest one hundred. We will get to Mario. We will. I thought it was just okay. No, God, no, it's not happening. I need now. to get another beer before that. One oh, starts. this is going to be such a long week. Um, okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. Where are we? Okay. So Bethesda. Uh, okay. I, I'm just hesitant to put them on this list because there are companies we would have to start knocking off. Because I mean, I'm just going to move them over now because I think the argument would have to be why Nintendo would get replaced by someone else. At least, at least in the top three, their their year was just too strong all around. Jeff, Jeff getting, cl- getting close to that thirty minute mark. We're still on topic one. You know, I know, I know for sure. So well, let's. Uh, you know, let's just make it one topic. Uh, no, we'll, 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 we'll we got to get through this. these. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll be fine. So, uh, actually, Mike, why don't you give us Blizzard? Give us the the, the high quick. points on that. Well, I mean, yourself. I'm not. 
This has basically been a live services year for Blizzard. I kind of put it down there because as a devil's advocate. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I'm really, if I could endorse one, it would have been Nintendo, but I think you already took that one because it was obvious. But they did, uh, I think Hearthstone maybe had its best post-launch year ever. Uh, the, the first two expansions were really good. Uh, the first one in Goro was fantastic. It was one of the best betas the game ever had. Uh, the Lich King was also really fun. The uh, Death Knights were good. We're pretty early into the third expansion. It just came out, um, Kobolds and Catacombs. But the single-player campaign thing it brought, which I may or may not be playing as we record this, has is super fun. It's the best single-player content uh, the game has had since it launched. Uh, it's kind of opened my eyes into the potential for single-player content in the game. I haven't even really played that much like multiplayer. I've just been playing this mode. It's just it's just super interesting how it's like this roguelike card game thing. Um, so super fun. I love I love the tribute that it is to Dungeons and Dragons and every role play game that came before Warcraft. I uh, it's amazing how well Blizzard can uh, handle ma- like maintenance years where it can just maintain um, yeah, but and it still like really thrive. But yeah, but they did more than that too. You know, they totally revamped. That's my point. It was a totally- storm was big. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a yeah. huge revamp. Yeah, totally. But I mean, that that's like, I mean, other companies update their games all the time, uh, it, and it's not as big of a deal as when Blizzard does it, because Blizzard just does it with such panache. Um, I'll, I'll do Ubisoft uh, in a similar Well, don't forget, don't forget uh, their work on Overwatch this year. Uh, yeah, I think that's only interesting than what my... Overwatch has been a little bit more almost problematic, I would say. It's been it's been good in terms of content, but there have been some missteps. Not- notably, the, uh, the Mercy rework initially was an absolute like dismal of failure they tried to nerf her and made her like way more powerful to the point where all the other healers were kind of unplayable for a bit and and that was a little rough and they did fix it to their credit but for like a couple months or however it was it was kind of miserable yeah and i i, I mean it's a sophomore year for that game it, it, it'll get through sure. it'll be fine um so ubisoft and, and I, don't forget the necromancer for diablo 3 and i, kind of, I forgot it I'm honest. forgetting it. Yeah, totally. Oh, uh, God, it was so much fun. No, they need to do something. They need to do next Diablo now, because I think Diablo well, 3 is worn out. It, it's Ubisoft fun. is on. <laughs> because. Excuse me. Excuse me, Jeff. I'm not finished. Thank you. Yes, it's good to be the king. Um, what, what was great about the Necromancer was you know, adding a new class and still making the game feel different and fresh to me, even though I've played it through several times by now. Yeah, yeah like, I had the opposite feeling where I started and I was just like, I, I, I can't with this game anymore. I, I, it's had its time and I'm kind of done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all encompassed in just Blizzard doing these things uh, well for at least most people, uh, even if not everything hits for everyone. Uh, okay, no, for real, get into Ubisoft because we do have to pick a winner here very soon. Um I put them on here because it just seems like they are figuring it out and it is live services. Uh, their games, you know, that Ubisoft, you know, there's the Ubisoft model. They make their games across a bunch of studios and they all have a very similar feeling a lot of times. And what they do is they change genres or perspectives. So you're doing a lot of the same stuff from first person or third person or uh, in a sci-fi setting or a fantasy setting or whatever. Um, they have uh, found a way to, really build up communities around each one of their games in a strong enough way that even when they start screwing up or they start to fade, they seem to always be, they always seem to find a way to revive it. And it's because they have like strong communication with their fans. It's because they have weekly content updates coming out and then they have bigger 
uh, more substantial updates coming out about every quarter or so. Uh, this has led to Rainbow Six Siege having 25 million players, uh, or you know, at least registered users. Um, and then, you know, that's a game that when it came out, it kind of came and went, and, I, and for good reason. It wasn't. It wasn't, you know, the most full, fully fledged out experience at the time. Uh, and now, throughout this year, we've seen similar patterns with For Honor and Rainbow Six or, Rain, or Ghost Recon Wildlands. Um, and who knows? Assassin's Creed did, you know, really well from the start, and maybe it could have a similar progression as well. But this, I, I'm impressed with the diversity of games Ubisoft has released this year, right? Like, like the, you know, you had your Assassin's Creed, and that, that was nice after the year off, and. For Honor and Wildlands, but you also had Mario and Rabbids, this really weird uh, tactical game with Mario and those and the Rabbids, and it was way better than it had any right to be. And you also had the the South Park uh, RPG, which right. was super fun. Yeah, they they still take risks and they get away from their core, you know, their core things. It just seems like they are always experimenting, so they know they're going to have to be changing up what they're doing in the next five to six years. So they're always looking at the horizon, and they're good. And at they're- it. And they're doing this all while at the same time looking over their shoulders and making sure that they're still independent and not being the subject of a hostile takeover by the Vivendi. Yeah, exactly. And I we mean, know that, how that's that, real thing. We know, we know, you know, the bad things that happen when Vivendi gets involved with video games. Exactly. And I mean, I think that the bigger point here about Ubisoft, and we'll move on to Nintendo, is just that that is a company that is unique to the point where if you do kick out the people that kind of built it up as it is built today, uh, the, you know, the Gilmo family. Um, yeah, it probably, it probably wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't work. Um, Mike, I've been talking a lot. Why don't you take Nintendo? Nintendo is just, I don't know. It seems so, so easy for me here. Right. Uh, the switch we found out today has now sold 10 million, or uh, was it 12 million something millions units? Yes, 10 million in nine months. Yep. 10 million in systems. 10 million systems. You know, in- I, I don't know how many times I asked you guys not to refer to these damn things as units. <laughs> I didn't say unit. Look, people know what we mean when we say units. <laughs> We're this not is a my system. Law. This is my gun. Uh, I think total lifetime sales gun. for the Wii U and it's whole like four or five years were like 14 million. So it's almost there already. Uh, so they just absolutely completely turned that around, which is uh, really impressive and really neat. And then they also released uh, two of the highest, maybe the two highest uh, reviewed games of the year in uh, Zelda and Mario. And it also does mean something that those are Zelda and Mario games. It's their two most important franchises. They released two games. They're slam dunks. And they are positioned perfectly. You have the Zelda game as the launch title. Then you also have the, the other one, Mario, coming in right in the beginning of the fourth quarter. Right? Like, that is just absolutely ideal, I imagine, if you want to do that stuff. And then outside of that, uh, their mobile efforts moving forward. I think Fire Emblem was probably their, their best uh, thing yet. They just uh, launched the uh, Animal Crossing game. The SNES Classic Edition was fantastic, and their supplies, a supply of it has been much better than the NES Classic, right? Uh, so just in terms of, like, yeah, launching a new system, especially, like, this really, like, we almost haven't seen this before, this weird system kind of coming out while the other generation is still happening, but having it be a complete success, releasing a lot of great games, and even beyond those two, you know? I mean, Splatoon 2 was fun. ARMS, maybe it's not the best thing ever, but as an early kind of launch game, launch window game that worked out really well. You also had Mario had Rabbids. Something, yeah, something new every month, though. Like it felt like it, right? Coming every month. I mean, they really did. I think. I mean, if you look back, I think they had at least one major published game from Nintendo, uh, and then maybe like once one of those months was maybe like a partner, but it was like a big partner. I can't remember. Uh, 
No, but I think I think it'd be no, soft or something. Yeah, yeah but it be, of, you take a publish that that game, so yeah. Or, or no, yeah. Microsoft updated. Yeah, actually. Yeah, and, they had a lot of a lot of indies too. Like they had a lot of oh. really great indie titles. The indie, indie support shop. has been fantastic for yeah. the Switch, and it's becoming like the new kind of go-to home for indie games. It's not just uh, like the support's been fantastic; the results have been fantastic. They are those games are selling and making a lot of money right. on the and Switch. It's, it's whether they're kind of bringing old favorites like Stardew Valley or. Uh, or Shovel Knight, or some of these new things like um, Golf Story, super fun. Like, yeah, that system is just, like, built for indie games. It's and fantastic. Then you have, and then you have uh, a retro component, too. Uh, Blaster Master is it, it, fantastic. Blaster Master, and the other one that really impressed me was um, Dragon Ball, or uh, Wonder Boy, oh, yeah, Dragon's Curse. Sure. That was, yeah. I thought that was super fun. That was these, are, these are all games that you could tell were, were working... Uh, you know, coming they were coming out for other systems. They were coming out for PC, and then the indies saw a chance to work with Nintendo, and Nintendo apparently reached out to them and was very aggressive about being friendly and welcoming and saying, "Hey, we, we want you on here for real. We are being very serious. We want your games on our system." And it all the indies responded because all of them grew up playing Nintendo, and it has paid off in a huge way. I, I'm sure we're going to get to a point where there is a, a too much. You know, we get the problem where there are too many games on the system. Uh, maybe some people feel like we're there already, but I, it's it's not really a, an actual problem. It feels like one of those good things to have uh, well, happen. The, the, the question will be, how does this sustain the success next year? Right. I, I almost feel, yeah, I almost feel like next year can't be as good as this year because the first okay. year of the system was fantastic. Like next year, it's going to be like the Kirby game, the Yoshi game. Maybe they'll finally port Smash Brothers over. Yeah, well, uh, they just announced the, Metroid, but Bayonetta three is going to be like one of those Mario and Luigi level games, I think, or Mario and Rabbids game level games. Well, so they, for- they have stuff coming. They're already making announcements for next year, but we'll see. And but- don't forget that there could be something special, something different that you don't know of that could totally. be ported from another system or from the PC, and you know, it could be a really good indie or two too. That so yeah, but that's next year. Let's stick on twenty seventeen. I think if you just look back, I, I would. Still want to give this one to Nintendo, just overall. But yeah, it was just such a good year. It's like in, in like the annals of uh, good years. This is up there almost. Yeah, it just they did so many things right that even when they made their their mess ups, um, like I don't think Animal Crossing, Pocky, yeah, the app exactly. Yeah, yeah, those things we could just like they they don't even come up on the radar anymore because they're just like who cares yeah they screwed that up but everything else is going so well. Uh, yeah, before but, we, before but we declare who- Nintendo the winner, I want to say is there do, are there any of these companies that aren't in the finalist over here among Sega, Annapurna, and Nintendo that we would want to replace with one of the ones that we haven't put on the finalists. Those three seem pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah, I'd, yeah I would have a hard... I mean, maybe Ubisoft, but I, I wouldn't knock off Sega for them, and I feel like I want Annapurna on the list for the reasons stated earlier. Um, and, yeah, Nintendo, I think, is staying. Uh, yeah, okay, I... I think that, that those will be our three finalists. And any argument against Nintendo being number one on this? No, they did everything right this year. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of killed it. All right, yeah. excellent. I think for me, like, I, I think Nintendo did such a great job with them, sort of helping with the couch co-op revival, too. Like, there's so many great mm-hmm. co-op games on the Switch. And I thought the Switch was going to be, like, overhyped. But then it just turned out to be such a great console you know and like it won me over implementation absolutely and and i think that's the story of a lot of people i I always play it every day really yeah me too uh, it's great me too especially since skyrim came out 
I played it on played it on transit today. There you go. I All wish right. I could take public transit. <laughs> <laughs> Los Angeles. Um, I live in Ohio. I take a car everywhere. That's the same way it is in LA, though. So yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get to this next topic. So this is the, the freshest gaming universes, or freshest new gaming universes, kind of how I put it. Um, I, I'll kind of give a, a basic rundown of what this award is. Uh, it's a way to celebrate new IP uh, without saying the words "new IP" because I think that's just it's such a clinical way of putting things. Uh, and it's also a way of saying, okay, this is not necessarily a new IP but it, it came out of nowhere or it was its breakout year for these, these very specific reasons of having this, this stunning addition to the gaming catalog in the, in the form of its characters or its, its setting, um, things along those lines. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into the nominations real quick and then we can start talking about this. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, Neo, Hellblade, Near Automata, Torment, Tides of Numenera, Golf Story, Prey, Goragoa, and Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Um, I, let me start with with PUBG real quick, uh, just kind of because I think I, I I'll be I'll be okay maybe just dropping this. I would say that they did. Uh, you know, it's kind of it, it, it haphazardly fell into establishing an interesting world. Uh, this game's still in early access. It will be until next week. Uh, you know, and it, you know, it has this vague Eastern European setting. They just re- revealed the desert map. I've been playing on that, and that really is awesome. Um, the reason I would consider it for this category uh, before I drop it is when you are in there and you are making your own stories, this is something we talked about a little bit before we started recording, um, you build memories in those physical places that the, the developers built around the map, and it, everything gets its own has, a, has its own character, and you remember doing things the next time you're there. Uh, you'll say, oh, yeah, that's where I got into that really awesome fight with that dude for like 10 straight minutes, and we both died in the blue because we weren't paying attention anymore. Um, and that doesn't happen in, in all of these games. I think, um, you know, I've been playing a little bit more Fortnite and it doesn't have the same effect. Uh, the map isn't, isn't quite, doesn't have that same character. Um, and so th- they definitely nailed that there. Although I don't even know if they realized why that happened. Although I don't know at the same time playing the desert map, maybe they did. Cause that desert map has been very good so far, but that said, it's just, it's not going to play with, with some of the other uh, contenders here. So I, I won't ha- feel like we have to get it over onto the, uh, the final side here. So uh, does anyone else want to take this away with one of their nominations? Well, for me, you know, I would, I, I think it's for PUBG. It, it's the stories you tell. There's been so many from so many different people in so many ways. Um, but going to the game I nominated, it's Torment Tides of Numenera. Um, it, you know, Numenera is its own role-playing world. It came out a few years ago. It was started on a Kickstarter by Monty Cook Games. Monty Cook was one of the people at TSR who helped write um, Planescape, and that which is the best, my favorite of the Dungeons & Dragons role-playing settings, but is no longer supported. Um, and this world, you're playing in it thousands and thousands of years later after the world was technologically advanced and then it goes through decay and cataclysms and now as you adventure around you discover hints of this old world but at the same time it's kind of a blend of magic and technology but that magic is it magic or is it technology and it's just fantastic to go through and explore things uh one of the levels 
has you going through different orifices inside the belly of a beast to go to different worlds, which I just loved. Um, and it's a world that I definitely want to keep exploring and keep digging into. Yeah, I could I could see that being one of the uh, finalists here for sure. Um, we can move that over. I, I, it, is is there any baggage from the old Torment game or anything like that that you would that would be no. reconsider? Okay, good. No, yeah, no, that's good to hear. Um, let's uh, let's see, Mike, can you do near. Yeah, Nier's weird because it's, it's it's like, it's not a new franchise, I guess. But I feel like for me, and for a lot of other people, it may as well be, right? Because right. it felt like these games only had... I mean, the series roots go back to the Drakengard games for PlayStation 2, which I don't think a lot of people played. And then there was a Nier game for Xbox 360, which maybe had a, a few more people playing. I, I don't know, but I, I feel like I never heard buzz about any of those games until this one. This was the one I dro- dropped into. Even though it is connected, it is far enough, like, separated timeline-wise. Like, it's a hundred years in the future thing. There's only a few references here and there to the old games that, that it kind of feels new. And, and that is what I liked about the game, was its setting did feel kind of fresh. Um, I know I was trying to explain to you earlier on Twitter why I liked it, because you, you're, you're you're not quite on board the hype train. No. It, you know... I, it manages to be kind of solemn and a little dreary and, and, and drab, and maybe even a little moody, without going full on hot topic. It almost kind of scratches that itch that the uh, the <laughs> Kojima Metal Gear games used to for me, uh, where it is a little weird and it is a little uh, bizarre. You know, even even Death Stranding, like some people were kind of laughing when it zoomed in on Norman Reedus's mouth and the baby's there and he's giving the thumbs up. I kind of like that stuff. Oh yeah, in a weird I way. I love that. And I th- yeah, and you know, especially without the Kojimas for for a bit, this this, this really did scratch that itch and, and kind of uh, push that need. And, and there is some intrigue in the world. There is this kind of like desolation of it, which um, I find interesting. Even even compared to a lot of other sort of post apocalyptic games, which sometimes try to like distill a lot of humor in it, or or just kind of turns into Mad Max. Or something like that. This this felt very different to me. I think the the soundtrack in Near just made oh, exploring yeah. the world that much more impactful. Like if I can't really even separate the two in my mind, really, because it was just they did it so well. Like when you entered a new area, the way the music would punctuate it, and it just really made you feel like you were actually exploring a world, you know, in the distant future. Yeah, uh, I, uh, so I played through only the first ending, uh, got the first credits, and I've only touched uh, playthrough B a little bit. But uh, I, I get what the, I get what you're saying, Mike, about the the desolation and them making a point with that stuff. Um, it, it works enough for me uh, that I, I I don't necessarily disagree with it being on this list. Um, I, I my my problems were more mechanical and, and entertainment. Wise, like I just wasn't entertained most of the time. Do I get to finally hear them, like in detail? No, is this the, the no, time? I still, I still don't feel like because I they don't pertain to my argument against why it shouldn't be on this on this list. I don't really feel that strongly about it not being here because because I get it. I get this part, especially and you know, the music. The music really is worth calling out and saying that it, you know when you consider this package as a whole, the thing that they are presenting to players it really is impressive in in those handful of ways it's world and the music i i get that and the character design and the characters themselves are, are really good they do stand out um and i think those are the things that kind of win you this category 
Um, so, so I'm not too against near being here. So I think that's one we can also move over. Um, I, I, it does want to bring me to Hellblade though. Uh, if, if you guys are okay with me, uh, going, moving on from near real quick. I'm not okay with it, but I guess, you know, whatever. So I, I've started playing Hellblade very recently. Um, me too. And I think it is, it's really impressive when you realize it's coming from an independent studio now at this point, a studio that's worked on a lot of these kinds of games before, or, you know, big budget games before. Um, but they are working in a time where they could think of every possible technological way of telling their story or making their game. And they are using it all. It is such a technically impressive game um, in terms of its, you know, the, you know, the, the, fidel- the fidelity of the characters and the way that they p- portray, um, you know, mental health, um, in, in a way that is, it doesn't feel too, like, it doesn't feel exploitative and it, and it also feels truthful in the way that the, the, you know, the voices will come in from multiple sides of, uh, you, you know, the, the 3d audio or like some awful character from the main character's past, uh, you know, Senua's past will come in as this sort of rumbly tumbly visage from the side that's like vibrating and it almost looks like maybe wait is that a real actor i can't tell it's so realistic looking i think it is i think it might be you but i mean it's It's cool because at first i didn't think so and it was really neat that they kind of get they got to a point the performance capture where they can do that stuff and it's not distracting right yeah it's like i'm like man i think i can't it it doesn't matter in the end because the point was it just made me like stop and like really observe what this this character was doing and i'm like okay this is this is some really, really impressive stuff. The the game itself, uh, I think maybe some similar stuff to, to Nier. I'm not enjoying the puzzles at all. The combat is, I could take it or leave it. Um, it's pretty standard. Yeah, it's very standard stuff. But they are doing such smart things with the, the tools available to, to them today uh, that I think it's another game maybe worth calling out. I'm not sure if it's going to be better than Nier for this group overall, but I think it's right there in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been enjoying it too. Um, as I'm playing it, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I really can't disagree with what you say. I'm, I'm, I am more impressed with it in a sort of storytelling and visual way than I am mechanically, which is what a lot of people have kind of echoed. Yeah, and I think that's again th- th- that's okay to a certain point. It's not sure. it's not going to be on on my top ten list probably for those reasons. That doesn't mean it's not worth. That's why we have these other categories. That's the whole reason we're doing this week. Um, let's see. Uh, ooh. Jason already mentioned his game. Yeah, Stephanie, why don't you give us yours? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about... So I don't know necessarily if this is going to make it to be number one, but I feel like it's worth mentioning Gorogoa, uh, which is coming out, you know, on the 14th, I think. Um, and And I think that it's worth mentioning because when you think of world building, you usually think of these, like, vast universes that you can explore and just, like, the expansiveness. But with Gorogoa, it's really interesting because it's contained. So, like, the story behind it, it's a puzzle game. But the basic story is that as a young boy, you see this, like, strange dragon, like, mystical creature called the Gorogoa. And the story follows this boy through his life at different stages as a young man, as an old man, as he tries to find this creature and, and, like, make meaning of this thing that he's seen. And as you're sort of going through the different levels and solving puzzles, you see parts of the world and you see hints at mythology and you see hints at like culture. And I think it's really interesting the way 
Jason Roberts, the developer, sort of develops this whole world without really any words or any explanation and just kind of relies on familiarity. Like there are things like bus stops or, you know, like living rooms or museums, but the the objects in them are just slightly different enough and draw from just a, a wide variety of like Arch, uh, like a architecture and different cultures that it seems like this weird mishmash of like a, like alien, I don't know, like an, an alien culture that we really are actually not familiar with at all. And so it kind of like crafts this world that you don't really go out into and explore per se, but it really sort of like fires up your imagination about where this character actually is and what he's actually going through. And I think it's really impressive that it does that through a puzzle format and like a largely static format where you're just kind of seeing it in the background and occasionally interacting with it, but just sort of like leaving it there as uh, just sort of a backdrop, you know? Yeah. I, I, um, for these, for this one and for tides of Numenera, I'm wondering if, if we should have one or the other, uh, unless, I mean, cause I, I would drop near, I think for Gorgoa, Gorgoa and then, Horizon Zero Dawn, which we'll get to in a second. Um, sure, Nier already kind of has this weird condition of it kind of not being a new IP. Exactly. So, I th- yeah, I think we could probably – maybe that's the answer right there. Okay, yeah, that's that's what we're going to do here. Um, because we're at a disadvantage in, in these situations where we have some like two people who are passionate about you know two different games and no one else has really played them much. Uh, but when, I, when those situations arise, I typically like to kind of give advantage to those games because if people feel that strongly about them, I want to kind of get them on there. So let's uh, – I also love Nier. But <laughs> <laughs> you, also, no, no, you tell me. Gorgoa or Nier. That's fine. I mean, I, I think Gorgo is just so... Uh, it's so fresh. And the fact that this developer spent five years slaving away on this game, drawing, coding, doing everything, and, you know, it's just his, it's just his brain in a game, I think it's like... It's it's a pretty great experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to play both of those both of those games when I get some time uh, over the holiday. I think. Um, okay, so Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, Anth- real, real quick, Anthony put Golf Story on here. I like Golf Story, Mike. You play Golf Story. Um, it is doing a very good imitation of of SNES RPGs, uh, and it you know builds on it in some creative ways in terms of some good writing. Um, and solving everything with golf and building this whole story around golf. But, you know, it is Mario Golf. One more time. So I, I think I'm okay not putting it on here. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn, this is a game I'm, I'm trying to play through right now still. Uh, and I nominated it already because the thing that I'm, I'm really responding to the most is, is actually the universe, the world, uh, the characters, the storytelling. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that just like stuck out immediately is the various tribes that you meet in the game, uh, the, the fact that this already feels like a really like, dynamic world with a lot of different po- political factions that all exist and all are bumping up against each other and all have their own belief systems uh, is very compelling and is one of the things that's kind of dragging me through this, through everything else because I'm like, oh, I, I want to find out more about this. Uh, and I, I think at the heart of it, maybe that is one of those that's the key to actually winning this category is to have to build a world so compelling that it justifies everything else. Um, and I think that's what Horizon Zero Dawn has. That's it, the world carries that game through. Not not carries it as in everything else isn't as good, 
but it really is super interesting. It is kind of like what I said with Nier, where it's post-apocalyptic, but in a very different and interesting way. It's almost kind of so far post-apocalyptic that it, it we are kind of in that new world phase. There are still remnants of the old world here and there, but it's not like, you know, a desert wasteland or something where people are obsessed about finding out the secrets of the past. It's like life has kind of moved on right. and gone on. And some, some of the people are more tribalistic than others, maybe. But it is a new world, and it does have that sense of discovery. And you know, it is this. And there is something novel about kind of mixing this like hunter gatherer early man society thing with these giant robots that are kind of walking around. Uh, and the scale of it too is really impressive. And I, I would also say that it's uh, out of all the games here, it's the one that has the biggest star. Like Aloy is a character that i think people will respond to for a very long time and will want her to get get sequel after sequel um because she is really well written and really well acted and almost more so than the other games we brought up there's a ton of franchise potential with horizon yeah and and, and that, you know that's maybe a, a cynical way of putting it but i agree with you uh but i think the underlying factors that make it franchise potential is these really appealing aspects of its world and its characters um you know, I think near near Automata has some stuff there with two B um, and nine S near games. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's not the same exact thing. It's not the same sort of. This is the mascot that will be on the you know the next PlayStation box or whatever, which Aloy will be. Um, so I I do th- I do think that brings us to the finalists. I I. I put Neo on here, but that was just in case someone wanted to talk about it and pray. Uh, pray was kind of a reboot and a weird one itself. Mm. So let's talk about these three finalists, uh, Tor- torment tides of Numenera, Gora Goa horizon zero dawn. Um, I feel like it, it's kind of me and Mike maybe pushing for horizon, but I don't want to like take that over. Do you guys want to make an argument for Gora Goa or torment taking this category? I'll let Steph go first. Uh, I mean, so like, I love Gorgo, and I do think that in a non-traditional sense, it's done a great job of building a world, but it's not the same uh, experience as being able to roam free range around something that's like fully fleshed out, you know, so I do think that puts it at a disadvantage. I still haven't played Horizon Zero Dawn, though I need to get to that this week, Um, but just the how memorable it is to people makes me think that it's going to be super worthwhile. So I think that if if you guys are like saying Horizon Zero Dawn is you know the best new universe, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, those are things I don't usually respond to as well. Is the the story and characters and games I usually take or leave them. I'm a mechanics and systems guy, but Horizon is winning me over with that stuff. Uh, Jason, so I would argue that uh, Torbet would would get it because. Even though it was from an existing role-playing game, uh, tabletop role-playing game, uh, the world, the way it's realized in the video game, is is not it's not just huge, but it, it it's amazing. It has a great deal of character, more so than most of the worlds you see in games. It does other things because of that character that I don't think you're you're going to see in Horizon. And it's it's got far more flavor to it because you're interacting with so many different characters and so many more characters. It's better written, uh, and it shows just because it, from the the work of two of the authors who are on it. Uh, I uh, 
I could see some of that, but it also feels like it is a, um, well, I guess Horizon could be as well, but a, a, a deviation of something that people have always liked. It just, it's like, okay, here is our, our generic uh, Dungeons & Dragons that we are finding ways to dress up. And, and Oh, no, it's nothing like Dungeons & Dragons. But, okay, well, I mean, so uh, so how is it different? Like, what is it doing? And it's not just like, I don't want just like, oh, it's got a different setting. Like, what is it doing to really establish its own identity? Well, because it's identity. So the identity, the identity is essentially the identity that you're you're praising um, Horizon for. Okay. You know the way it's building upon this old world. Uh, it does that same, except that old world is always present in different ways than it is just the robotic dinosaurs marching around. It's it, it it's in people's DNA. It's in people's what you find. It's in the quest and how you interact with them. It's with the different areas and planes and worlds you can travel to. Um, it's not just this one area of this one world as it's confined to in horizon. I am. Um, I'm not too passionate about defending horizon here. If you're that, if you are that passionate about uh, torment, I torment is a game. I, another game I want to get to still. And I, I could end up agreeing with you. Uh, so maybe Mike, if, do you want to make an argument? I like it. I don't know. You, you seem to be kind of dismissive of Horizon's writing, but I thought that was a strong point of that game. I thought it was a uh, very well written. I thought, especially in a kind of a character level, they made a lot of those characters very interesting. Alloy, her father figure, uh, even a lot of the minor characters, just the people who are kind of in charge of the Sun Kingdom. Uh, also, I you know I know Horizon obviously takes a lot of inspiration from those kind of Far Cry, the the Tomb Raiders, but. Um, you know, Torment is very much is much more uh, inspired by one specific game, right? Uh, well, it, it's you know, people say, yeah, it's the spiritual successor to Planescape Torment, but no, what it is is really the first adaptation of Numenera, the tabletop RPG. Sure, but it's well, so again, it, there's a very direct inspiration. So, in terms of like how impressive it is as a new universe, I mean, sure, it's new for gaming. Uh, I don't. Know, I, I would still very strongly, uh, and again, I haven't really uh, uh, touched that one, uh, Tizen Numera, as much as maybe I should have. But I would still pretty strongly say Horizon for this category. Yeah, I would. I would totally say you're wrong. <laughs> I all right then. We need a tiebreaker. Well, well, here's here's my thing. Is I think uh, it's very easy in these discussions to get into bringing down the other game and I, I'm much more interested in building up arguments for why a game should win. Oh, good guy, Jeff. I, I, yeah, good <laughs> okay. Podcast, so here's, Jeff. here's uh, where it differs to me is you, you know, the variety of companions, their own, when you're talking about the strength of writing, you're writing essentially for what, three or four characters in, in horizon. And that's it. No way. Alloy, her mentor. And then a couple of the other people she deals with, no, but no, no, they're no, not, no, no, that's not right. I mean, I've already met like a, a dozen characters that I've had, uh, but are they omnipresent? Uh, no, not they're not omnipresent. No, yeah, yeah that's fair. No, but I mean, well, I, I, you've I, got a full par- you've got a full party in torment. But, but okay, and here's what wait, real quick. Jason. Those characters need that support through the entire game. I, I don't. It doesn't necessarily have to. Com- you don't have to compare and contrast the two games. I just want to. Oh, I'm just talking about the right. Yeah, I, I just want to. I want you to build up an argument for this for. Titan- yeah, but not not without having to. Say how, what it does better specifically than than Horizon Zero Dawn. Well, excuse me, but it seems like you're pissing off what I'm trying to do. So, man, don't be like I don't understand what you're just like my wife. I don't want to try to say something. <laughs> I don't understand. 
I don't, you're, you're pushing back at everything, bringing down my argument. So I don't understand what it is you want, Joe. Okay, but basically, I just want to. I'm just trying to understand what you love about it because I, I want to love it. I told you what I love about it. I know. To me, it's a far better written game. It's got a much more interesting world that blends in millennia of different types of magic and technology with many more areas to explore and stealth doesn't matter at all. Well, I remain unconvinced. I uh, I don't know what has better authors means. Um, I don't know. I tried to give you a chance to explain what made it better and we didn't really get there. I We have to end this podcast. Stephanie's got to get out of here. Uh, we all got to get out of here. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think we're going to have to go ahead and give this one to Horizon Zero Dawn uh, just based on, on where we're going to have to leave this conversation. Um, who knows? I'll probably go play Torment Tides of Numenera and be completely convinced. But I, just as it stands, based on my understanding of what we talked to here, this one's going to Horizon. Uh, that's that's going to do it. We really do have to run. That's going to end the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate it. We will catch you tomorrow with more. we got new topics coming up for the rest of the week before Friday where we are going to do our top 10 and the game of the year.